this is the most glorious birthday, the most important birthday, I believe, of all time, even more important than mine, uh, certainly because of its implications for so many people, and that's why we're here today. It really is all about Jesus and his birth. But, you know, say that you were in the position of having to prepare for this event. You know, I don't know if you've ever been around events coordinators, you know, but those people are, they're, they're a, a strange brew, okay? If you've ever seen Father of the Bride, you know what I'm talking about, okay? The wedding coordinator, anybody? Okay. Some of you still remember that movie, okay? But imagine if you had to be in charge of all of the coordination for the birth of God's Son into the world. And how would you prepare for that? How would you plan for it? You know, who would you invite to come and witness it? And when you think that as God prepared this, I mean, he knew from the beginning, from the foundation of the earth, that his son would come into the world, would live as a human being, would die for us. And how he then began to unveil that, revealing it through his prophets. This was not something that just happened. This was something that God had prepared from the beginning. And so what I'd like to look at is, when we look at the Christmas story, we're going to look at things that these kids brought before us today. But before all of that, just the groundwork that God laid for this amazing story. And it all begins back in the beginning, back in the Garden of Eden, when God had told Adam and Eve that they pretty much had the open garden policy, okay? They could do anything they wanted except one thing. And they were not to eat of one tree in the center of the garden. And of course, the serpent deceived Eve, and she ate, and she gave to Adam, and he ate. And immediately, they knew that they were naked, and they hid from God. And God shows up, and God says, you know, where are you? You know, well, we're naked, and we hid ourselves. Well, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the fruit that I commanded you not to eat? And of course, we know how Adam responded. God, the woman you gave me, she ate, and I ate also. And, uh, and so, so he turns to Eve. Well, what is this that you have done? The serpent, you know, he deceived me. And so, because of that, God pronounced the curse on the serpent. From now on, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust. And then not only that, and then God said, I will put in the tea between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Immediately, God began to reveal his plan, the remedy. No sooner had man sinned and that created the fall of man, the entry of sin and death into the human family. No sooner did that happen than God began to show the remedy. There will be a seed from the woman. Now, normally the seed is, is from the man. It, it refers to the sperm from the man. But God said there will be a seed from the woman who will bruise the serpent's head and he will bruise his heel. And so... Um, God began to reveal what was going to happen. And they didn't know when that was going to happen. They thought maybe perhaps the next, you know, the first son that Eve had would be the one. But of course, he wasn't the one. 
Now, many thousands of years went by. And God chose a man living in Mesopotamia named Abram. He was 75 years old when the Lord said to him, Leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God chose this one guy. And Abraham responded by faith. He believed God. And the Bible says that God accounted that to him as righteousness. And he left his homeland. He went into the land of Canaan. He lived in tents for the rest of his life because he believed the one that had called him. And as a result, God said, through you, through your descendants, will come a seed, one who will bless, you know, all of the people in the world. Well, again, more centuries passed, and we come to the time of Isaiah. This Isaiah was a prophet in Judah about 700 BC. And he was a prophet during the reign of four different kings. The first two, Uzziah and Jotham, were were good kings. But Jotham's son, Ahaz, uh, was a very bad king. And uh, in fact, he had gone to Damascus, and he saw there in Damascus an altar, a pagan altar, an idolatrous altar. And so he made a copy of it and put it in the temple and replaced the altar to the Lord in the temple with this pagan altar. And he, he ordered the priest to begin to make sacrifices on this altar rather than the altar to the Lord. But God sent Isaiah to Ahaz. And he, he told Ahaz to ask for any sign that he wanted to prove that Yahweh, the Lord, was God rather than this pagan, you know, idolatrous God that he was um, seeking to worship. And so uh, God said, ask for any sign. And Ahaz said, well, I'm not going to ask the sign and test the Lord. And so Isaiah said, okay, you won't ask for a sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. He said, behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This will be the sign to you. And it was not only to Ahaz. There would be a near-term sort of fulfillment to this. But the long-term fulfillment, the one that's so important to us, is that a virgin would conceive. She'd become pregnant. And not only that, but she would give birth as a virgin. And of course, that would be a sign (laughs) to everybody that this One who was born would be the son of God. He would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And thus his name would be called Emmanuel. God with us. The God man who would be born. And Isaiah also gave another prophecy about this God man. In Isaiah 9, 6 he said, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What's interesting is how Isaiah says this. To us, meaning to to Israel or to the world, a child is born. That's from the human perspective. To us, 
a son is given. That's from the divine, heavenly perspective. God would give his son. And because he would be both the son of man and the son of God, these lofty titles would be given to him. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Those titles could not be owned by any human who was not the son of God. He was both God and man. Therefore, the stage was set. And God revealed through Isaiah, through many other prophets, which we don't have time to go into today, that he would bring his only begotten son into the world. And God, there's some 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that speak of everything about the life of Jesus Christ in his first coming that he fulfilled. And, and so God made it very clear. He set the stage. And then the last prophet went away in 400 years of silence until Gabriel would show up and speak to a priest by the name of Zacharias and, and say that his wife who had had no children, her name was Elizabeth, that he would have, she would have a son that would be John the Baptist. He would be the forerunner, a relative of Jesus. And then in the sixth month of her pregnancy, the, the angel Gabriel also, it seems like Gabriel was charged with, you know, the task of notifying all these people of what was going to happen. So Gabriel shows up in Nazareth to a virgin named Mary. And she was pledged to be married to Joseph. And Gabriel said to her, Greetings, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. And immediately, like probably all of us, she was troubled by who is this guy and what does this mean? And so, she said, and so the, uh, Gabriel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. What a marvelous bit of news to this young woman, probably 15, 16 years old. And then she realized immediately there's a problem. She was pledged to be married to Joseph. In that culture, you would have what was called the betrothal, which was just as binding as a marriage, although they had not yet been together. And so she said, well, how is this going to happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit was will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. We know this as the Immaculate Conception. Son of God, Son of Man. The interesting thing is that Mary herself was a descendant of David and Joseph was a descendant of David. And that was absolutely important. Because God had told David that God would build him a house, a dynasty. And that one of his descendants would sit on his throne in Jerusalem forever. And so, all of this prophecy coming to this young woman. And she knew that this would be complicated. 
And yet, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. May I just say, I think sometimes we in the Protestant church have not given Mary the respect she deserves. She's not the one we pray to. We pray to God, the Father, in Jesus' name. But this woman was quite a woman. You think about it. Of all the women in the world that God would choose to raise his son, he chose her. And you kind of see the reason for that. And that is right here, she was willing to submit to God's will no matter what. Here I am. I'm your servant. And let it be done to me as you have said. Well, as I said, it was complicated because suddenly at some point, Joseph realized that Mary was pregnant and visibly pregnant. And he, being a righteous man, he didn't want to disgrace her publicly, but he thought, I'm going to have to divorce her just quietly. And as he was contemplating this, he had a dream. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so this name, you know, Joseph, you're going to name him Jesus. The name literally means Yahweh saves, or the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. And so Joseph was obedient to the angel. He took Mary as his wife, but he had no relations with her until, until after Jesus was born. Now, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world and everyone went to his hometown to register. Understand something about God. God is sovereign in the nations of the world. He is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. The Bible says that the heart of kings or rulers are in his hand. He directs them as he wills as a water course. <laughs> so he had a little problem. Because Micah the prophet had said that the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary were living in Nazareth. How do you get Joseph and Mary when she's nine months pregnant over to Bethlehem? Oh, okay. Let's have Caesar Augustus issue a decree. Boom. And now everybody in the Roman world is moving around, going back to their birthplace. And that meant Joseph had to take Mary. We don't know if it was on a donkey. It wasn't on a car. For sure, wasn't a Hummer. Uh, but anyway, he got her to, uh, to Bethlehem. It's like about a 70-mile trip. And took her there in order to register for the census. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, and laid him in a manger. I love, you know, I love those little baby burritos, okay? Right? You've seen that, right? <laughs> Something about it brings comfort to the little newborn. She wrapped him all up, you know, stuck him in the manger because there was no 
room for them in the inn. Now again, I ask you, if this were your son, if you were God, and you're bringing your son who's going to be the Messiah, the Christ, the one before whom every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord, that's going to happen. Whether you want to now or not, at some point you will. We all will. And yet, as God gave his son into the world, you know, not even in this little town, this village of Bethlehem was there room for him to be born. I mean, we, we just shudder at the thought of a child not being born in the hospital. I heard here recently on the radio that there was a, a baby that was born in, in a person's front lawn. Now imagine that would be quite the nativity scene. Uh, <laughs> especially if it happened this time of the year. I mean, we shudder at those kinds of things, right? But think about it. This is the Son of God, and he was born in such humble means, probably in a cave, placed in a, in a, a feeding trough, and, uh, and that's how God did it. And I think probably so that the Lord could sort of minister to the lowest common denominator and relate to anybody. And of course, we know that he would later be accused, really by his enemies, of being a friend of sinners. I can think of no greater title for our Lord than that. So this is how he was born. Now, if you were the angel coordinating the birth of God's only son, and you knew that this was the most important night in human history, whom would you invite to witness it? Nearby. There's some shepherds. Shepherds were not exactly highly favored in that culture. They're out in the fields near Bethlehem watching their flocks. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord of his glory surrounded them and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid because I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in claws and strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And listen to what he said to the shepherds. Three things. First, this was good news. Second, it would bring great joy. And third, it would be to all people. And you know what? It was good news then. It is good news now. Because what the world was like then, it had trouble, it had sin, it had death. And what do we have today? We have trouble, we have sin, we have death. It's the same thing. What was good news then is good news for all of time, all of human history, because of its implications. And when you understand what the fact that Jesus came into this world, what he came to do, 
in all of our lives. It is good news. It's the best news because the world does not have good news ultimately. <laughs> you know, it, it's, there's more to life than he who gets the most toys at the end wins. <laughs> there, you, you spend all your time accumulating stuff and then, you know, as they say, life is hard and then you die. If that's all there is to it, that's not good news. Good news is that there's a God who loves you, who cares about you, who sent his son to die in place of you for your sins so that you could have everlasting life and live in heaven with him in a place of joy where there is no more sorrow and pain and death. That's the good news. And that's the same good news today as it was when the shepherds first hear, heard it at the lips of this angel. He is Christ the Lord, they said. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, good, peace among, I started to say the old King James, goodwill toward men, okay. But this says peace among those with whom he is pleased. And I'll tell you why I think that's important, that translation. But here's, imagine this, okay. It says that there was with the angel a heavenly host. That's the armies of heaven singing. I don't know what that would be like, but imagine an entire army singing. They would all sing in tune, I'm sure, okay? They're angels, they better. All singing this glorious hymn to the Lord. Glory to God in the highest, you know. And, and on earth, peace among those whom, with whom he is pleased. So, glory to God. God would be glorified through the birth of his son. Later, God himself would say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Peace on earth. Wait a minute. Peace on earth? We're not experiencing peace on earth. We're experiencing a lot of warfare, a lot of division. What went wrong? Oh, you, got, you read the next part, though. Peace on earth with, with those with whom he is pleased. You see, the thing is, is that the peace that Christ came to bring was not world peace, not yet. He will come again, and he will bring world peace, for he will rule with a rod of iron, and in those days... The Bible says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as, as the waters cover the sea. And at that time, there will be peace on earth. But now the peace is for those with whom God is pleased. And how do we please God? Well, Jesus said, this is, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. We please God by believing in Jesus Christ and accepting what he did on the cross and asking him into our heart and life. And then we put ourselves in the place where we have pleased God. And then we know the peace of God, you see. That's the good news that God came to bring us through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what the angels were singing about. And it's still every bit as glorious and wonderful and joyful and necessary today as it ever was. Well, sometime after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary were living in a house in Bethlehem, and the Magi, wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem. Now, the thing was, they probably 
had a hold of an ancient prophecy by this guy named Balaam that talked about how a star would arise out of Jacob and a scepter would come out of Israel. And so they, being stargazers, astrologers, saw this amazing star and put it all together and thought, this announces the king of Israel. And that's why they came to Jerusalem in seeking the king, the king of Israel. And so they went to Herod and said to him, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And King Herod was greatly disturbed by this because he was a very jealous, paranoid king. And so he called for the priests immediately and said, okay, so, so where is the Christ supposed to be born? And they said, in Bethlehem. That's what the prophet Micah said. And so he called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he said, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. But in fact, he didn't want to worship Jesus. He wanted to kill him. Which is what he would then, in fact, seek to do by having all of the male children, two years old and younger, killed. To try to wipe him out. And that has been Satan's tactic from day one. To just wipe out any evidence of Jesus. Try to just put him aside. Take him, throw him into the margin and the periphery of life. Get him out of the public sector. Do anything you can do to suppress the truth of Jesus Christ. That's Satan's tactic. And he hates the truth. And he hates the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, look, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I am the good shepherd and I have come to give you life and that more abundantly. That's the difference. And you're either following Satan because you've rebelled against God and his word. Or you are following Jesus Christ. There are no other options. And Herod was clearly following the devil. He was a murderer and a liar. But, and that's who Satan is. That's what Jesus said. Satan's been a liar from the beginning and a murderer. So, they left. And after they left, they saw the star again. And it guided them to Bethlehem. And it stopped over the house where the child was. And they entered and they saw Jesus with Mary and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And as the kids said, they had it down in that video. They gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Right on, you guys that are teaching your kids. Good job. These gifts, they worshiped this child, this infant. And I like this because it's like normally, you know, you see the wise men with the infant. Listen, he was probably older than that. He was up to two years old. They were living in a house in Bethlehem at the time. So we don't know how long it had been, but by the time they got there, you know, they, they then worshipped the child and um, brought him these gifts. And that, my friends, is a Christmas story. <laughs> Amen? It's a great story. There was a, a movie made many years ago called The Greatest Story Ever Told. And that's the story of Jesus. Of course, it doesn't end here. His life was just beginning. And his mission was just beginning. But is that 
really the end for us. Here's the amazing thing. This event was so significant that every calendar and every clock counts from this moment. You know, they try to get away from that. They used to, it used to be like BC, right, before Christ. Now it's before common era. They, they want to try to just zap Christ out of the whole picture any way they can. And, of course, A.D. means in the, in the year of our Lord. Well, it's 2021 in the year of our Lord. Amen? They can't forget it. As hard as they try, <laughs> they can't forget it. That's how significant this event was. And there's three things that I, I see. There's many reasons, I'm sure. But I think that we are better off because of Christ coming into the world for at least three reasons. The first is because Christ was born, we have forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. Paul said in Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Do you realize, folks, our greatest spiritual need between us and God, is that we would be forgiven. Because we've all sinned. The Bible says we've all come short of the glorious standard of God. We've all failed. We're all broken people. God has set his standard, which is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That wraps up all of the law and the prophets according to Jesus. And we've all failed to do it. Every one of us. We're broken people. We do stupid things. We should all be on the island of misfit toys, okay? Remember that from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I, I would belong on the island of misfit toys, okay? We need to be forgiven because ultimately every sin is a sin against God ultimately. Other people might be involved. It might hurt others. But our sin is ultimately against God. And that's why we have to be forgiven by God. But because God is just, there is no other way for God to forgive except that a just penalty be paid. He's a good and just God. And he can't just turn a blind eye to sin. And he can't just put away the justice of it, justice has to be served. He's a just God. Therefore, he sent Jesus to be sinless, to offer his sinless life on the cross as the sacrifice for us so that by his blood, his blood would cover over our sins so that God does not look at our sins. He looks at the blood of Jesus that was shed to Cleanse us of sin. And that could not have happened if Jesus was not born. And there is no other way to get to heaven except through that process that God has ordained through Christ. That's our first most necessary thing that came as a result. Second, because Christ was born, we have freedom from Satan's power. 
Folks, listen. Why do people do despicable things in this world? It's because they're under Satan's power. The whole world, the Bible says, is under the sway of the evil one. He is the ruler of the world. When man, Adam, sinned in the Garden of Eden, he sold the title deed of this earth into the hands of Satan. And Jesus said he's the ruler of this world. So he's moving. He's working. He's doing his thing. He will ultimately raise up a man of sin known as the Antichrist. But we who have believed in Jesus Christ are no longer under his power. Can I get an amen on that? We're not under his power. We don't, we're not slaves to sin anymore. We're to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God. We're not under his power. We're not under the law. We're under grace. We're free. And if people only understood that, I got a text from a, a guy that I've known for years. He used to go to our church. Last night, he texted me. I didn't even see it. I saw that somebody texted me. I didn't see what it was. I woke up in the middle of the night. I read it. He said, my son committed suicide. He took his life. I said, your son took his life? And I woke up. I was like, what? Yeah. So we spent like middle of the night texting back and forth. That's a reality. It's a reality of life. Terrible things happen in this life. And what do you say to somebody that's just experienced that? There, there are no words to say. It's heartbroken. He loves the Lord, but he's heartbroken. But the reality of it is there is a powerful liar named Satan, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the only thing that breaks his power and his lies and his stronghold, the stronghold of sin and death that he holds over people, the only thing that breaks that is Jesus Christ. And when you come into the Lord's camp, when by faith you say, Jesus, I want to trust in you, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, then Satan's power is crushed. And the more you realize that and believe in that, the more you can walk in the freedom of that. Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty one, when a strong man is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him and strips him of his weapons and carries off his belongings. Jesus is the stronger man who bound Satan and took away his belongings, which is you and me. And they sung it. The first song today. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay, for Christ our Lord and Savior was born on Christmas Day. Okay, we can take issue with that. Probably wasn't Christmas Day. Okay. Probably wasn't December 25th. It's too cold to watch your flocks by night out in Bethlehem. But it says, to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Jesus came to save us from Satan's power. And that's such an important thing. And the third thing, because Christ was born, we have peace with God. You see, the Bible says that when we were born, we were born into this world as sinners. 
We were in, at enmity with God. There was division between us and God. We were separated from God because of our sins. And the only way to bridge that gap, the only way to have peace with God, where we're no longer the enemy of God and God has forgiven us of our sins and then he can give us his peace to fill our hearts, that's through Jesus Christ. And that's why he said, peace I leave you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I to you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be fearful. And let me ask you today, today, at this Christmas, 2021, do you have the peace of God residing in your heart? Do you wake up in the morning, despite what trouble might happen in in the world or in your world for that day, do you wake up in the morning and you know that you have peace with God and that peace is ruling your heart? And if you don't know that, then, then my greatest gift that I could give to you would be to give you faith in Jesus Christ so that his peace can come into your heart and life. And it will guide you in all of the the troubles and decisions and things of life. Even when something so terrible has happened to my friend, at least I know a couple things. I know that the God is the God of all comfort. And I know that he is a God of peace. And I know that he will minister comfort and peace to my friend by the grace of Jesus Christ. That much we know. It doesn't spare us from going through troubles in life, but it gives us the peace of God to help us go through it. Amen? And that's my prayer for you today. And I want to give you the opportunity, if you have not done that, to do so today. Listen, it's a wonderful story about a baby in a manger. But the danger of the manger (laughs) would be to, to celebrate his birth, to give gifts to, you know, put lights on your eaves and decorate your tree and all of that and yet not know him personally. That would be the greatest danger of all because you can know about him. You can know it's his birthday but not know him personally. And my my invitation to you is that you would come to know this Jesus personally. He loves you. He gave his life for you. And then God proved that he accepted that as the, as the forgiveness of sins by raising Jesus from the dead. He conquered death. 500 people witnessed it. Many of those people died martyrs' deaths rather than renounce the faith that they, they, they claimed that he was the resurrected Lord. And that same Lord is alive today. and He wants to be alive in your heart. He wants to be born in all of us. So let's close in prayer.